Hello, hello. You are listening to Honored with William McCarthy live from New Orleans. Greetings, friends, Roman countrymen. It's me. It's Bill. I'm here in the Big Easy. There is a blade of sunlight coming through the window on my back. I will apologize as we get started here that this is a very echoey room. A lot of It's a very high-ceilinged room, and I am across the street from a Lutheran church. So if that the bells start going off uh, <laughs> and that starts happening, please forgive me. I'll try my best to speak into the microphone. So here I am. Um, why am I here? What brings me to New Orleans? I have a lot to say and a lot to talk about. So let's get started. Firstly, earlier in the week, I wrote a story called Block Captain Onward Ranch. And what the story was about is basically that in Brooklyn, in New York City, rather, in every neighborhood, there's always what, what we call a block captain. It's, it's the kind of guy that sits on his stoop. He's the guy that's out on his chair in front of the, the bodega, in front of the corner store. He's the guy that uh, waves across the street and knows everybody by name, and he's a very active part of the community. And those kind of characters are the block captain. And they're, they're like the alphas, right? And I was writing this story talking about how I want to be a block captain, but I realized that I don't think that's going to be possible in my home of Red Hook, Brooklyn. I love New York City, and I've been there for, I think, 18 years. But something's happening to me inside, and it's actually based in, in, in inspiration, and it, there's an excitement, so I don't want you to think that I'm going on some kind of negative, negative headspace trip, which I'm definitely not, but what's going on? I, I was explaining it to people in my, in my Onward community, um, in my Patreon blog, I guess you could say, and Behind the scenes, I've been investigating buying a property the past two years, and I've slowly been taking the steps. And it's kind of interesting that you can go through um, a pre-approval process with actually not a whole hell of a lot in the bank <laughs> and be pre-approved, right? Um, and it's something, you know, I obviously musicians really fear um, <laughs> by binding contracts of any kind, let alone ones that last for 30 years. Uh, but what happened to me is I was out in Morongo, California uh, last year with my girlfriend, Bridget, and we went to this, basically this desert property. It was in a canyon. There was a swimming pool at the bottom of the canyon and like these kind of trailers around it. And when I was there, it was very comforting. I think it was in February. And I was thinking, wow, you know, this sure beats freezing in New York. And I, I really started thinking about um, the space and how you, truly you really don't need that much. Um, and I also started thinking about my own community, my like the indie rock scene and the and my art and just like kind of what I've been doing the past two decades and writing and other writers and other singers and performers and also just people who want to be in part of a, a communal effort 
get to know other people that love like you know music that are like-minded that love art anyways so I'm sitting in the desert and I'm like Jesus this is like this place looks like a meth lab to be honest it looked like breaking bad right it didn't it wasn't the nicest you know accommodations it was at Airbnb and I was just thinking like man I could do so much better than this no offense to the the trailer thing but I, I was just like I, I think I could make a space and like I, I could see Eric and Rob stopping in and I could see different friends from around the world stopping in I was thinking about like curating like a night like around a big campfire like and making a like a and b kind of retreat thing that I can also retreat to when I'm off of the road because I tour and I'm on airplanes all the time but what a nice place that you could kind of get rejuvenated. What a nice concept, rather. And it's just, it just kept going in my mind. I started really looking, you know, the past couple of years, I, I started looking all along the west coast of America. I went from my hometown of Santa Cruz. I rode my motorcycle all the way down to Arizona because I was seeing a lot of possibilities there because it's pretty affordable. Ultimately, I feel like, pardon me, I feel like the desert is very tricky. I personally love the desert. Other, it's, it's too overbearing for people sometimes. Um, then I started thinking about physical structures, buying like just land, like how, you know, getting another loan and trying to like build something on it. Anyways, I was, you know, it makes so much sense to me. It's like, who knows more about like, hotels and accommodations and traveling than musicians <laughs> and I mean I admit the part of it was it was um, it was me feeling that honestly when are people at their best in life when they're gardening when they're walking on the beach uh, when they're camping like when are people communal and, and when, when do people like really display like the like wisdom? And I was thinking about it, man, at campfires. Campfires are like this wonderful central place that people just kind of reflect and they share moments with each other, like quiet moments, they can storytelling, people pull out, you know, some of the best experiences of my life have been um, playing a guitar with other musicians around a campfire. It's like the best, I think it's one of the best things ever in life. And it brings people together. So yeah, I was just thinking, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a property. So I started looking upstate in upstate New York, and I I love I love it up there. The only problem is is that I travel so much that landing in an international airport like New York City and then traveling three hours to get to get to get home, you know, if I lived there, that would be a really <laughs> a really arduous, um, rigorous experience coming from, I don't know, say, say I'm coming from Europe, say I'm coming from France or Germany or England or something, and I come in and I fly six or seven hours, and then I land, then I gotta get from the airport to the train station, and then go from the train station all the way upstate, and then figure out how to get in a car, like in temporary parking or something, it just got really weird. So I just started thinking about where is the, where's the musical place, and there was just really two places on my list um, in America, Nashville and New Orleans. And the more I thought about New Orleans, the more I was thinking, well, that's a, that's completely, that's, it's right in front of me. This is, makes so much sense. New Orleans, 
like a heritage and a, and a musical heritage site. Jazz was invented not far from me. I think 15 minutes away from where I'm speaking to you today, jazz was invented. So I come down to New Orleans a couple days ago and I'm starting to see, if anybody's ever been here, the homes here are like 100 years old and sometimes much more. It's got so much history to it that you can see the homes are decorated in this almost like crazy, like almost lifesavers or uh, like gummy bear kind of colors. It's beautiful. Like I've never really liked the color coral before. I laughed at the color salmon, but when you see it on a giant wooden Victorian house, it's pretty cool. So I urge anybody who loves architecture and history, please come check out New Orleans. It's fascinating. It, would, it will not let you down. Another thing that's interesting is you start getting a sense of history. Like I was talking about in my last podcast, um, history of the British, the French, uh, the Americans, uh, us Americans, um, history of slavery, history of um, uprisings, revolutions, uh, battles, history of people of color, Creole, Cajuns, Acadians. And you, you can see this stuff in the architecture. You can go down the street here and there is still spray paint on the sides of houses from, from Hurricane Katrina. Hurricane Katrina, I think, killed 1,200 people. And to be honest, the more I read about it, I, I mean, we were all going through it as a, as a country, but it's just shameful how those people were treated and what was available to them. It's heart-wrenching, actually. So there's like, you know, there's also like voodoo and there's above ground like Creole um, cemeteries here. So there's just like this constant like, like life cycle thing going on in New Orleans of people being alive and dying and people being oppressed and then people revolting. And I, I basically, I got a real estate and I was like, just show me some alternative spaces. Maybe I can build some kind of like small retreat here somehow. And I didn't really realize how repressed I have become. Everywhere, I was like a child. I was looking up at buildings like, oh my God, look at that, and look at that, and look at that. And you can, and this is, and this is a fraction of what New York City costs. And I, I have to talk about this because I've been reflecting a lot about gentrification. Firstly, if I moved to New Orleans and started a business or bought a home, am I a gentrifier? Or am I being pushed out of where I'm, living and I am being pushed out. I mean, the rents are, if you can hang on and do rent, that's good for you. But you know, who can buy? Can anybody buy? I don't know anybody that can buy anymore. And I think the same is happening in London. The same is happening in Berlin. The same is happening in Amsterdam. The same is happening in Melbourne and Sydney. And you know, I don't know. I don't know about um, Cape Town or Christchurch in New Zealand. I don't, but it just seems like all the Western major cities, especially um, if they have international airports and they are known for arts and music, they're going through a big flux, not to mention just jobs. Um, in Europe, you've got like people from Syria and refugees being pushed out of their country, flooding into the cities of Italy, flooding into the cities of Germany, flooding into France, into Switzerland. And it's a very different, like when populations shift and move around, it's really, it's a rub, right? So a lot has happened here in New Orleans and there are factories that have closed. 
Um, there was Hurricane Katrina, as I mentioned. There was white flight. A lot of white people just up and left the city because it was experiencing economic hardships. There was Hurricane Betsy in 1965. And I was thinking about white flight. And I was, <laughs> I saw yesterday, I saw a baby Bjorn, like a lady with a baby Bjorn in Oshkosh overalls coming out of a food co-op, passing by a yoga studio. And I was like, literally, I think that is the opposite of white flight. Whatever the opposite of white flight is, it's that woman with her baby Bjorn in her Oshkosh overalls and her co-op. And was, I was researching this because I always like to do a bit of reading so I don't sound like a total knucklehead on this podcast. But I was reading about it and like, it was just talking about like bewilderment, like long, you know, long-standing New Orleanians and families, like looking at this kind of like new movement coming in, which is people starting young, you know, young businesses, startups, you know, food trucks, um, co-ops, yoga studios. And the thing that they're most like kind of like they confused by is they don't understand the yoga studios, which completely like, it like so personifies that modern consciousness, right? I'm on Twitter. I order off of Amazon. I'm going to yoga. I'm taking my city bike and I'm, I paid for my app. So I'm picking up my bike and I'm commuting down to the blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to the farmer's market. And that, I mean, you know, I've been talking to people about it and they were just like, you know, New Orleans is still a place where people, they leave their house to run errands. They go to the bank to cash a check. They go to the grocery store, they go to the butcher, they, they go to the clothing store to get a, a jacket, they get sneakers. They don't buy off of, I mean, I can't obviously speak for an entire population, but the, the, what people were saying is that like, you know, pe people aren't so on the phone and they're not so, uh, that, that, old, that old school mentality is still kind of really strong here. It's a, it's a stronghold. But when we look at like coming into a new environment, I guess what gentrification has meant to me having, you know, I'm not, it's not even possible for me to move back to where the town where I was born, Santa Cruz. And believe me, I tried. The houses are about six, seven, I'd say they're more about seven to $800,000. And that's just not going to happen. Not for me, man. So I, I guess the term gentrification, when I th think about it coming in from an artist's perspective, not a, a, a restaurateur or a cafe owner or, a, you know, I think of it how we how how it resonated with us is like musicians. Usually, it's the gays and the musicians. They kind of parachute into a bad area. Hence, I mean, for example, I, I moved to Oakland a long time ago. It was in the '90s. I, it was like um, East Oakland. No, it was West Oakland. I mean, it was scary. It was like <clears throat> it was like Sarajevo. You know, it was it was like overturned cars. I mean, the same thing everybody always talks about: burned out cars, broken windows, graffiti, um, crackheads. And it was you know after the crack epidemic, and you you know the artists go in there, the gay community goes in there, and we kind of like start this small thing, and then pretty soon there's a cafe, and then pretty soon there's a thrift store, and pretty soon there's a small restaurant, and pretty soon then. A couple of the people move there. And I guess what gentrification is, is when you start seeing a, a new purpose, you're repurposing a derelict area, like an area where there's not, you know, where it is, it's destitute and it's in, it's in decline. And when people try to repurpose that, it causes frictions with old families. There's estimated 10 families left of original Red Hook families in Brooklyn, where I live. 
Um, like I said, I've lived in Berlin, Amsterdam, I've lived in Madrid. I, it is happening literally everywhere. And it's like, I don't want people to be mad at me for moving to New Orleans. I don't want New Orleanians to be hating on me because I'm like a Northern New York guy coming down to live. But then again, it's like, what am I gonna do? Where am I gonna go? Um, so, you know, anyways, I feel pushed out. It's a tricky thing. And uh, that all said, wish me luck. I saw a lot of different spaces and I'm just gonna keep developing the idea. But for now, I've gotta get my butt back to New York City and get rehearsed because I'm going on tour. Um, I Think, I'm not sure if we've added a Cambodian date. I think there is a Cambodian date now, but I am going on tour in Vietnam, if you didn't already know, and that's coming up. I'm going, I've just released some music to my Patreon community, and I'm getting a lot of great feedback on that, and I'm getting ready to release new music, so hang in for that. And thank you for listening to me ramble and talk about my inspirations and my, my onward, onward ranch sounds a little weird, onward island. <laughs> on Onward Island next tune in next week on Onward Island as Bill gets gangrene and writes an opus um, so again th hey guys thanks for, for being patient with my echoey backgrounds here I'm going to wrap it up come to New Orleans support this city it's great I understand I hope I've not stepped on any toes I with the gentrification topic is super awkward um, you guys, thanks for listening. You are loved, and god damn, it's pretty here. You are listening to Onward with William McCarthy, live from New Orleans. 